0: Welcome back into the Royals Farm Report. My name is Joel Penfield, joined as always by Alex Duvall. How are you doing, man?
1: Joel, I'm good. Um, Minor League Baseball has been so much fun for me to watch this year, watching the high A team at Quad Cities and the double A team at Northwest Arkansas. I think Northwest Arkansas is going to keep being a lot of fun to watch. I think Omaha is getting ready to be a lot more fun to watch. I don't know how much more of this big league club I can take, man. This is Like, there's a level of bad that goes from being bad to embarrassing to um, worrisome, and I think we've gotten through the bad. I still think we're currently at the embarrassing level. I'm not overly worried yet, but I'm kind of getting there. I mean, this team just shows. They have no fight. They got no heart. They have no talent. It is is brutal to watch day in and day out. So um, my focus, I had the Royals game on in the background because – on Apple TV, you can't get um, minor league baseball TV app or the internet browser. So I kind of have to fight a losing battle with he- keeping the Royals on TV while I keep minor league baseball up to my computer. But as long as there's minor league baseball, I'll be good because this big league team is insufferable at times. Yeah,
0: my, uh, my wife and uh, one of my best friends from high school, three of us went to the game last night at the K. We actually met up at the game. I uh, didn't know you were going to be there. and One of our other buddies, Seth, was there as well. And, yeah, we just sat there for, like, an inning and a half, just drinking our beer in the concourse because the game was so out of hand in, like, the third inning. It was like, you know, we're here because we spent our money, but, like, that's the only thing keeping us here at this point. It's a level of bad that I didn't think I would see again for a long time because we talked about before the season started. felt like the window was starting to open a little bit. I didn't have super high expectations for the season, but I didn't think they'd be – Damn near worst team in baseball levels of bad right now. Like there, there's no reason for that at this point. Um, changes need to be made. You all know <laughs> kind of what those changes are. Make your own inferences. But yeah, I'm I'm trying to keep my focus on what the minor league guys are doing right now because it's more fun to watch the better brand of baseball in a lot of aspects. That's it. You know, and the, and these guys are going to help the big league team get better eventually. But right now, it's like a level of bad I didn't think I would see again for a long time.
1: Yeah, and we'll have – once we get through all the draft stuff, our midseason rankings, once we kind of move through all this, we may focus up on the big league club at some point. And there may be actually some uh, – anyway, I'll save that for later, but we'll get – we'll focus on the big league club at some point. But for now, um, let's dive into the low A team there in Columbia – Columbia is fighting for a series split this week. They got Foster Griffin on the mound. Foster Griffin had his rehab assignment transferred from the Arizona Complex League up to low A in Columbia. I'm excited for him. Being a, a hashtag Tommy John survivor myself, um, I really couldn't care less if Foster Griffin ever pitches in the big leagues again. Just happy to see him healthy, happy to see him get another chance. Um, they're in low A. They're playing right now. It's top of the first inning. So. Who knows what that'll end up like, but Columbia currently down series two to three uh, fighting for that series split catcher. Saul Garza is up with the low a team from the Arizona league as well. Garza was thought to be one of the gems of the 2020 undrafted free agent class. Um, big power, decent catcher. I had M well above him at the beginning of the season. Um, I had a pretty, pretty set split between M and Garza, but uh, there were those who thought Garza was better than M. Schaff. So we'll see a couple of really talented catchers down there. Excited to see how that plays out. Uh, a couple other moves this week. Nate Webb gets promoted to Quad Cities. Um, he'd, been, he'd been pretty good out of the bullpen. He has a few dominant outings. He has a few outings that were uh, not so great, but more dominant outings and bad outings. He's, he'll be up to Quad Cities. Nate Webb, just by the way, is a Lee Summit North High School graduate from here in Lee Summit, Missouri. Uh, Michael Garcia also got the call. Uh, Michael Garcia filling in for Jason Guzman while Jason Guzman goes and plays in the Olympics for Team Dominican Republic. So um, I think Garcia's there to stay. Like, I don't think I, I, he got the call when Guzman left, but I do think he'll stay. Not hitting for any sort of power really this year. He has one home run, handful of doubles. Um, I like Garcia a little bit. The power, I mean, he's a very light hitting 21 year old. So we'll see how he progresses. Um, guy we like quite a bit here at the site. Just, you know, hopefully over the next two, three years, he's able to put some muscle on and hit for a little more power. Cause he's, he's a tall kid, great defender at shortstop just needs to be a little more productive with the bat. Um, his strikeout to rate ratio this year has been fantastic. So he's in the quad cities and Columbia, man, they've been gutted a little bit. So Hopefully the offense can turn things around, but um, been, been rough going of late for the Fireflies.
0: Yeah, I, I'm really happy for Michael Garcia. He's a dude that I, I really like. I know you do as well. We had him higher in our rankings than I think a lot of people probably expected, so it feels kind of good. It's a little bit of a vindication for us uh, when someone that we like and have a little higher than most either uh, other prospect sites or maybe a guy that people don't really know and they perform and they're able to move up that's a really good sign, and that's, it's nice for us for sure. Um, yeah, if, if he can develop any sort of power, I feel really good about his progression. I mean, the kid's got a bunch of tools. He's just got to put on a little bit of muscle and, hit and get some loft in the ball. And if he can do that, then I feel pretty good about where he's going to be at. I don't have much more on, Quad, on uh, Columbia other than that. Let's just move on to the Quad Cities, who's just been one of the best teams in all of minor league baseball all year long. Yeah, they just about
1: swept um, the Beloit snappers, the Beloit snappers. Um, the snappers from there and in, in somewhere in Wisconsin. They won the first six games, 6-5, 10-9, 5-3, 6-4, 9-5, and then wasted a really good start from Anthony Veniciano on uh, today. So Sunday, uh, the offense is rolling. I posted a stat earlier on Twitter. Vinny Pasquantino has one strikeout over his last 50-some plate appearances. That dude has been absolutely incredible to play all year. Michael Massey is heating up to the point where we're going to talk about these guys a little bit later, but Michael Massey and Benny Pasquantino carrying the offense there in the Quad Cities. Will Klein, Asa Lacey, and Anthony Veniciano continue to wrap up the strikeouts on the mound. Those three have been a lot of fun to watch. There's a lot of walks between the three of them, but a lot of strikeouts as well. So um, a lot of really good development going on there in the Quad Cities. Noah Murdoch has been fantastic. Uh, Since returning from the IL, he hasn't struck out the guys you would think, but he hasn't been hit very much either. And his command has been pretty good for a 6'8 righty who runs his fastball up into the mid-90s. Trying to think, I feel like I had a note on one more guy. Oh, Nick Lofton continues to be really good. I really, really like the way Nick Lofton is swinging the bat. Um, Could hit for a little more power, but just in terms of what we thought we were getting from Nick Lofton, he's been very on brand. The Quad Cities River Bandits might look a little bit different this time next week, um, but they have been outstanding as a unit. So they continue to win a lot of ball ballgames, um, and they continue to be a lot of fun to watch as they chase that high A central title.
0: Yeah, uh, and by the way, I just Googled it while you were talking. It's pronounced Beloit. Beloit. The, Bo- the Beloit Snappers. There we go. So. I think that's like the third time that they played Beloit this year. I think this is the first time we've actually pronounced it correctly. So there we go. Uh, but yeah, no, Vinny has been awesome this year. Uh, I think I think we talked about it a little bit. I can't remember if it was off air on air, but we had him. I think we had him twenty nine something like that in our rankings, which is a lot higher than a lot of places. Uh, higher than anybody, I'm pretty sure. But. And we said he's either gonna like skyrocket up into our, you know, maybe top twenty if he has a really gear, or he's gonna completely really fall off the map. And we didn't quite know where he was gonna fall in just because first base prospects are really tough. You know, you really have to hit to have any sort of value. And he's done that. He's been one of the best hitters in high A Central all year. And for a guy that's a, you know, mostly power first type. He doesn't like the batted but like the profile doesn't screen that because it only strikes out. He strikes out less than fourteen percent of the time. Later runs created plus to one fifty three. You know an OPS. You know bumping up toward a thousand. So he and it's very clear when you look at the set. I think he's hitting bat, batting average is what it is, but he's hitting four tens since like the middle of like the middle of the month. So or a couple last over the last couple of weeks. So he's a dude's getting too good for the level. Michael Massey is just smashing baseballs all over the place right now. I think he has what nine home runs in his last 15 games or something ridiculous like that like he's been on a tear he's a guy that deserves a promotion as well uh this team this team is a lot of fun to watch there there's so much talent there uh so much projectability it's a really good sign to see a team like this and i don't think they're going to fall off the map a ton when some of these guys move up i I think there's still going to be enough talent there they're going to be able to have a really good shot to win the high a central
1: Absolutely. So let's go on to double-A, Northwest Arkansas. The Naturals guaranteed themselves a split. Uh, they are currently up 3-2 to two in the series against the Arkansas Travelers. They are playing game two of a doubleheader as we speak. It is not going so well. So um, worst-case scenario, when you're listening to this, the Naturals will split the series with Arkansas. Um, best case, they come back here and win game seven and take a 5-4-3 four to three, four to two, four to two. Yeah. Four to two. There we go. Four to two series victory. Um, Bobby Wood Jr. Has three or four home runs in this series already. Nick Prado hit one or two MJ Melendez has two or three. These guys continue to do what they do. We're going to have a very lengthy conversation about them coming up with Alec Lewis of the athletic. Um, There's, there are some qualities to their game that could still use some work but the overall impact that they're doing to pitchers at double a is ridiculous. And I don't remember seeing this from a, a trio of Royals prospect prospects since like Moose, Clint Robinson and Haas were all doing it. Like I know back in 2018 in Lexington, these guys were doing some damage with Suley, but they were striking out over 30% of the time, obviously not Bobby Wood Jr., but the other big three they had. And Nick Prado really got off to a slow start that year, didn't do it until late. Matias got hurt, didn't do it, or did, did a lot of damage early, didn't got hurt. This is this is just owning other pitching staffs. I mean, this has been ridiculous. Um, and so, again, we'll have a more lengthy conversation about them, but to watch what they have done, and we can throw Clay Duncan into that mix. We can throw Dyron Blanco into that mix. To watch what they've done at A this year, has been so much fun to watch, and I know we talk about it all the time, so I'm going to get to somebody else real quick, but it has been a lot of fun to watch. Drew Parrish, um, nine strikeouts and seven innings pitched, probably the best start that any Royals prospect has made this year. I'm trying to think of other examples, but seven innings, nine Ks is probably the best they've done all year. Um, running his fastball up to 93 miles an hour into the seventh. I didn't know he had that in him. I did not know Drew Parrish had 93 in him. So that was, that was really promising to see. Um, Jonathan Heasley continues to be really good down there. I think he's another guy that I didn't mention because of all the pitching they've already got. But, man, like if he got a promotion to AAA, would anybody be shocked? So uh, they continue to play good baseball. They're, they're missing a few pieces, like, to be a dominant double A team. So I think the record doesn't really show what the top-end talent has done. Uh, but, man, they lost Rudy Martin, they lost Travis Jones, and they did not miss a beat. They lost Drew Coleman, did not miss a beat, so they keep playing pretty good ball. The top, top, top talent guys on that team keep doing what they do, um, but again, we, like we talked about, that. they may look a little different uh, coming up this time next week. Yeah, it's, yeah, I,
0: that, I, I agree with all your sentiments here. I don't have too much more to add, but I, I'll just continue to say how remarkable it is to see what, what MJ Melendez and Nick Prado are doing. Um, you know, it, it's still it's still amazing. We've, we've been talking about it for the better part of the last month, how incredible the the turnaround has been for those guys. But to see them still continue to produce as there's more film on them and there's more data on them and they're still, you know, they're still producing at a really high level. Nick is striking out a little more than he was uh, at the beginning of the year, but he's still doing damage with balls that he is hitting. MJ is just Flipping balls all over the place over the wall. Uh, it doesn't feel like there's a there's a significant hole in his swing, like there was, or holes in his swing, like there were in Lexington, Wilmington. He's getting to everything, uh, and you know, serving <clears> balls into the left field and pulling you know outside sliders, you know, out to to right field. It's it's really remarkable, and his his defense speaks for itself. He he's still he's really really good behind the plate. So the you know, lots to like there and. You know, if they, he gets promotion to Triple A here soon, it wouldn't shock me at all with any of these guys. Like, I think I think Bobby's a given, and we'll talk to Alec about that. But there, there's going to be multiple guys on this team that are going to go up soon and help that uh, Triple that A team there in Omaha.
1: Speaking of that Triple A team in Omaha, I don't have a lot to say about them at the moment because I think most of the guys are in their everyday lineup at the moment. Like, Can- Cancel is hurt. Like, most of the guys that are playing are just kind of fill in slash non-prospects. Rudy Martin has been really good. Um, Kyle Isbell has really turned things around lately. He cuts the ball, and I don't really know how to describe it without showing – maybe I'll tweet this out, give a better understanding, but he gets, like, two inside the ball to where, you know, we want hitters to think opposite field, opposite field, but that's on pitches that are supposed to be driven that way, right? He's hitting even, like – pitches on the inside corner he's getting too far inside of and hitting him to left field instead of yanking him which he did yank a curveball over the fence today for his eighth home run of the year so his batted ball profile like if you look at just how hard he's hitting the ball would suggest he should be doing way better than he is the the way in which he impacts the ball like the spin he puts on it and the launching and i don't even want to use that it's like a dirty word but the launch angle the attack angle like he's just not squaring the ball up all the time, even though he's still hitting the ball hard. I know that doesn't make a ton of sense. Probably what really matters is he's hitting the ball hard. He's just not hitting it properly. And a lot of that is kind of what the same thing they said about Nick Prado last year, or I'm sorry, 2019 that they fixed. That's allowing him to drive the ball out of the yard. More is not so dissimilar to what Kyle Isbell is doing. So his strikeout to walk ratio is in check. It's um, really close to 0.5, which so, One walk for every two strikeouts It's pretty good. His ISO over the last month and a half has been over 200, which means he's hitting the ball for a little more power. He had a home run today where he just yanked a curveball out of the yard. That was great to see. Obviously, he plays good defense. He stole his 14th base today. A lot of promising things about Kyle Isbell's game. I know the numbers don't look good. He's been better of late. I kind of like what I see from him if he can figure out how to impact the balls on the inner part of the plate more, I think you'd see a drastic increase in production. But for now, don't look at Kyle Isbell's numbers and be discouraged because I think he's been a lot better than you may think. Um, And I've actually been really encouraged by Isbell over the last month.
0: Yeah, I, I agree there. I don't have much more to say. It feels like, you know, Isbell, Coar and, and Lynch are really the dudes to focus on there and see how they're progressing, how they're doing. I mean, They've all got big league time, all had their their struggles, and now it's trying to figure out you know when we can see them back in Kansas City when they start improving. So I, I don't have much more on them. But I yeah, I think having the focus in high A and double A right now is super important. But here in a couple of days, we're probably gonna have an opportunity to really hone in on what we're seeing in
1: triple A with some new guys. Yeah, a couple quick notes about Lynch and Coar. Both made outstanding starts this week. Uh, Daniel Lynch looked the best. I'd seen him at triple A. Six strikeouts and three and two-thirds innings or three and a third inning whenever the rain hit there in Omaha or Indianapolis, maybe. Um, but I thought he looked great before the rain hit. Jackson Coar, eight strikeouts and five scoreless innings. Also looked fantastic. So, quick little update about Lynch and Coar. Um, Still in Omaha, still pitching very well, Jackson is. And Lynch looks like he might be turning a corner. So, that's yeah. all I got about Omaha.
0: Uh, that's really encouraging. I, you know, I, there's Lynch is so damn talented. I think, and I hope that people don't get stuck on what they saw in Kansas City. And same with Coar for that matter. Like they're they're both uber talented. There's still a ton of talent there, and there, there's no reason to believe that what we saw in Kansas City and the struggles that they had those in their first couple of starts of their big league career are are here to stay. I, but I also think maybe if there are some changes to the the staff there in Kansas City. Uh, coaching staff, may, maybe we don't see those struggles as much, but that's uh, that's a whole
1: nother pod. I'm sure that's all. That could be a whole other podcast. We're being honest. Yeah, I. If we can not talk about the big league, no, nah, I'm just kidding. But the big league club, man, they've got. I need to watch my pick my words carefully here. But like you said, maybe another podcast. Yeah.
0: Well, on the other side of this break here, we're going to have Alec Lewis back on. and talk about some of the possible promotions that we're going to see. Uh, this week within the system and how everything's going with them uh, we will uh, talk to y'all on the other side of this break we'll be right back alex and i are now joined by now three-time guest alec lewis uh, he is the royals uh, beat writer for the athletic and he's going to on and talk about uh, some possible promotions we're going to see here uh, pretty soon within the organization how's it going man
2: I'm good. I'm good. Thank you guys for having me. Third time. Wow. Um, Got to make it more often or something. I, I don't know. Maybe that's too many people are annoyed at this point of hearing my voice or I, I don't. I need to be more uh, constructive. We'll see um, how people are. No, thank you guys for having me. It's, uh, it's a pleasure. It's been a crazy year in terms of what's happened at the big league club, what's happened in the minor league uh, side. So it's been uh, interesting to cover, to write about, but
0: fun. Uh, as I know you guys are having fun, so happy to be here. Well, we're, we're having fun not having to, to cover the, the big league team. I'm so, I, you're getting paid to, to write and talk about baseball, so it's not like your life sucks that much. But uh, No. But with how things have gone recently, I can't imagine it's been easy.
2: No, my life doesn't suck at all. It's actually a joy that my – like you said. I mean, my job is to write stories about people every day. Um, and there's – I mean – you know, when you sign up to do this job, that stuff will come up, and stuff happens, and and people will say whatever. And and I mean, truth be told, like as long as I'm treating people like human beings and doing the stories I love to do every day, and still have the opportunity, I will never, ever, ever take it for granted. So, um, and and really, like you said, to watch baseball every day, get to talk to people who know the game, um, it's a joy. It's 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 obviously tough to watch some of the. Product that I've seen at the big league level every day. It would be lying to say it, it, it hasn't been tough, but I think it's been tough for. I mean, I know it's been tough for everybody in the organization from owner down to watch some of this um, and the way that the big league club has performed. It's, it's it's not easy. It really isn't.
1: Speaking of being tough, I think things are going to get a little bit easier to watch here in the next year or two, and I think a lot of that starts with Bobby Witt Jr. at Double A. Dayton Moore and company have said several times that they want to watch a hitter dominate a level for a month before they consider moving him. We've seen them move, guys, after the Futures game before. I think the point of the scheduling not working out makes a lot of sense. Bobby Witt Jr. goes back to double-A, hits three home runs this week. Over the last month or so, so this is since um, – <clears throat> this is before today. This is even since May 12th. A 161 WRC+. Plus. His strikeout rates down below 23%. OPS right around 1,000. Like, I think it makes too much sense for him to be promoted. So if you're listening to this on Monday, it makes too much sense for him to be promoted today. So I'm like, I'm almost like cautious about being optimistic. Um, but I, it makes too much sense, right? I mean, like, give me a one, scale 1 to 10. What? How confident are you that, Bobby Witt Jr.'s next game will be played in Omaha.
2: Yeah, I think I'd say seven or eight, probably. I mean, look, I think the the big thing they wanted to see, and the reason they started him at double A, I think they believe they, they probably probably could have started him at AAA, A and he would have he wouldn't have sank. He would have swam. And I think they they believe that. But I think there's to your point, within the organization, there's always the belief that you dominate a level, you never worry that maybe I didn't accomplish enough at the level before. And with him to go to double A, which is really to be honest, with the talent level in that I mean that's that division, it's it's really high for him to to dominate the way he had, especially of late. And then to to dominate against pitching that you've already seen. So they've seen you, they know what you're looking for, they made adjustments. Then you're adjusting back to them. I mean that's that's like big league stuff right there. Um I think that's really what they've wanted to see from from Bobby, from Nick, from MJ. I mean I think they they bought it last summer with what they saw at the alternate site. They bought it this spring. They bought the way they started the season at Double A. Um, but then when you see them adjust to the pitching that they've already faced and dominate the way I think all these guys have, really, um, it just gives you that much more confidence that you, you could bump a guy. And so I think, I mean, with Bobby and, and, and with a lot of these, I mean, whoever we might mention, it just makes sense that, They've proven it. They've proven it again. They've proven it after they've been adjusted to. And at that point, um, especially when
1: defensively it works out and there's opportunity, it just it makes sense for sure. You mentioned Nick Prado. Nick Prado's strikeout rate is up close to 29%, and lately it's been even higher than that. I have a conspiracy theory. So, A, Nick Prado's swinging strike rate is not nearly as high as his strikeout rate. So it would suggest positive regression coming in that Form. B, I've noticed, and there's no there's no box. So if you, if you guys don't watch minor league baseball, sometimes the feeds, you're getting an angle from like behind the shortstop's head or from like <laughs> a sky cam behind home plate. But I feel like, and maybe I just never noticed it before. Maybe it's always been this way. That the umpire strike zones are semi-significantly bigger this year in an attempt to protect the pitchers after not having a 2020 season. So I'm not saying they're like, it's a conspiracy. They're just said, Hey, we're going to open the zone up a little bit. Try not to make these guys throw a ton of pitches. And if it hurts the hitters a little bit, well, swing the bat a little more. Like we don't tell you, but we got to protect the pitchers. Maybe I'm just crazy. In any case, I think the strikeout rate is a little high. I also don't think it's as high or it's as worrisome as maybe it implies. He has still absolutely raked all year. Uh, 15 home runs. Uh, weighted runs created plus over 160. Is your confidence level seven or eight for him to be in Omaha this week as well?
2: Yeah, probably. And and you mentioned the strike zone. I think there's just – when you combine, like, the inconsistent with maybe some guys have bigger zones, maybe some don't, and there's inconsistency. And, and he's a guy who's very selective in terms of, like, what he wants to hit because he wants to hit it hard. Um, I just think it's tough. And then I also think when you hit the ball the way he has all year at Double A Northwest, um, opposing pitchers are not gonna I mean, they're not throwing you anything. And so you're a hitter, you wanna hit and, and part of what's made him successful this year is his ability to kind of withhold a swing against pitches that he's not gonna get hard. But at some point, I mean, you're a hitter, you you do wanna hit pitches. I mean, you're not just gonna walk, walk, walk as I mean, I think it'd be great if you could do that. And he has done that a lot. Um, But I think at times you just, you want to hit. So you might swing out of the zone a little bit more, more than you probably would or should in, in in normal circumstance with pitchers who are not afraid to pitch against you. So I think there's part of all that, but um, I mean, I think if you just look sample size with it and what he's done the entire year, uh, I mean, he's just been a force in the middle of the lineup and, and, I mean, I think I often forget just still how young he and MJ really are. I mean, they were picked in 2017. So Royals fans have seen them for four years now and they've had, they've seen the ups and downs and it just feels like you've been with these guys for a long time and they must be, but I mean, still what, 21 years old, or 22 years old. I mean, these guys are still young even for that level. And so, um, I don't know, Just we could talk about the, the bounce back he and MJ have made and, and, I've probably talked about that for a long time uh, with this organization, the hitting development staff, and, and really the work they've put into. Uh, but, yeah, I think overall um, it wouldn't shock me at all to see see them get the bump for sure.
1: So you you mentioned – you said seven or eight. I'm at like a nine or ten, which feels way too good to be true. So I'm like – I'm wondering if I'm like overthinking this. Like, is, it, is this – does it make too much sense for them to be on their way to Omaha in order for them to move – If they move right now, I think I look today that Northwest Arkansas has exactly as many players as they would need to fill out a lineup, meaning somebody's coming up. I think the two obvious names that we keep mentioning at IA Quad Cities, second baseman, Michael Massey, first baseman, Vinny Pasquantino. Alec, it makes too much sense. Like, this is too obvious. (laughs) It makes too much sense. Pasquantino goes to first base. Michael Massey goes to second. Clay Dungan goes to short. We don't miss a beat. We'll talk about backfilling at Quad Cities in a minute. But in terms of Quad Cities, Northwest Arkansas, move those guys to Northwest Arkansas and Omaha, it makes too much sense. It is too obvious. So my confidence level, those guys being moved up, also like a 9 or a 10. Michael Massey in the last – I mean, this is really – since May 23rd, weighted runs created plus over 170 uh strikeout to walk ratio over 0. 0.6. Vinny Pasquantino's been doing this all year. We don't even have to get come up with random splits for him. Yeah, how many home runs do you have? 70? Yeah, close if you count if you count the doubles. I mean, he's got <laughs> 13 home runs, 20 doubles, and a handful of triples. Yeah. Like. And by the way, his strikeout to walk ratio on the season is almost one. He has struck out one time in his last 52 plate appearances. I mean, That's pretty you want to hilarious. talk about seeing a guy dominate a level. These four guys have done it. They fit the bill. No ifs, ands, or buts. So if you're watching, if you're listening, if you're paying any kind of attention, let's just assume that it makes too much sense for these guys to get promoted. If they don't get promoted, how should Royals fans look at this? Because I look at this as this is the time to move them. If they don't get moved, like, I disagree. So defend maybe if, if you're listening to this on Monday – and Tuesday, these guys are in their same lineups. Defend the position of keeping them where they're at.
2: Yeah, um, and people are going to like me defending the Royals. I know that's a, <laughs> it's a big uh, common theme. Uh, no, I mean, the. truth be told, like I think the only way that happens is if they have some pr- pr- proprietary something that they're saying, or, or maybe not proprietary in terms of just like an analytical hard hit something. Maybe it's just a, a makeup type thing, a – um i don't know movement profile type thing there's just i mean they have so many we we talk all the time about analytics and i was thinking about something the other day it's like there's buckets of analytics from a qualitative standpoint and that's like the the mental frame of mind that's the performance their their movement patterns i think with their body and then there's like obviously the hard hit rate data and so the rows have a ton of that they have nutrition information all this stuff that goes into it um, and I know I'm like just blabbering, but I think the only – I mean, tr- truth be told, you mentioned Michael Massey. This is a guy I've heard – I mean, going back to the instructional league, I remember uh, road assistant GM J.J. Picola tell me on the record, like this is a guy who really impressed us with the way his his bat works, the fourth-round pick from 2019. Obviously, he's older. I think he can handle another level without a doubt. He's older than even Nick Prado, I think, and M.J. Melendez are. So, um, yeah, to me, it, it just – it it does seem – like pretty obvious and fitting. I mean, you have enough sample size of where they're at. Uh, again, you've seen them kind of counteract pitching. They face guys six days in a row. At, at, at some point, I just, yeah, I think you push guys, and, and they've accomplished enough. I don't know, 13 home runs and however many doubles you said for Benny, it's to the point where it's, okay, let's let's sink or swim at another level. I think it, it makes sense. So the, the defense for the Royals as uh, the one who – the man who I think many people – think is is here to hold their shield no i think it would just be some kind of data point that i just can't grab myself
1: i think if we're if we're looking at the maybe the one defense i would have is if we're looking at other guys like maybe this isn't unique to these four because mj melendez in the last well i mean since since may 15th so we're talking about two months of a sample size a strikeout rate under 22% a walk rate over 11% in a weighted runs created plus over 150, Clay Dungan has a strikeout rate since May 28th, so well over a month, under 17 percent. A weighted runs created plus over 118. He's a little different because he's 25 years old, right? He's kind of, in my opinion, like I don't really know how much further we're going with Clay Dungan. So, if you keep him at Double A, we're just kind of stalling. So, I would I would argue he's as due for a promotion as any of these guys, even with less production overall. And then Darren Blanco in center field. Darren Blanco since June first, so you're talking uh, a month and a half now. A strikeout rate of thirteen percent, which was worrisome for him coming into the season. Just very raw. I didn't really know how he was going to handle the plate. An OPS over a thousand and a weighted runs created plus over one seventy. If I was going to make the argument that maybe we don't move guys around too much, is there are so many guys who you could argue. Yeah. I mean. You know, they say we want to see them dominate a level for a month. I just rattled you off seven that are tearing <laughs> stuff up. I mean, seriously, how do, we, how do we make sure we protect other players in the organization without doing a disservice to guys who probably deserve a promotion of some kind? Yeah, it's a great question.
2: and it, I mean, obviously, it's a good place to be. <laughs> you prefer it as opposed, as opposed to the alternative. Uh, two things i mean i think it, your point like mj melendez has been just as good as nick and bobby i think over the last two months without a, especially at the plate without question but, i mean if you bump him up and you want him to catch i mean sebastian rivero's there you want to catch every day too so then it obviously becomes it It just becomes tough i mean darren blanco it's funny you bring him up and i remember they made the deadline deal i think it was for uh jake geekman yeah, um and, and it was Ismail Aquino and, and Darren Blanco. and I you hear about these guys you get scattering points whatever but when I was in Northwest maybe 3 weeks ago if you'd have just told me like don't you, I don't know anybody on this field and I'm just going to watch all these guys and say like who do you like and I'm obviously very rookie minded and how I'd evaluate but I mean the I mean just the, the the bat speed and I mean obviously the the regular speed I mean just just, he just jumped off the page. Like just, if you're watching Darren blog, you're like, who the heck is that guy? Because it's incredibly impressive. Um, so yeah, to your point, I mean, y- you, wanna, um, you want to, you want to reward guys. You don't want to obviously play favorites. You know, there's a lot of uh, leadership elements at play. I think that this organization thinks about of like a guy takes the baton and can lead for others. I think they think about that. Um, but again, I, I go back. It's, it's a good problem to have that. Um, I mean, I know like JJ Pico and his staff sort through and think through all this stuff pretty, pretty much daily. And, and they're in tune to these guys as much as everybody. Um, so I think that they'll, they'll make the decisions with the data points that they have and it won't be random. I mean, what they do, I think will be very calculated. Uh,
1: another, a couple other guys I wanted to mention, see if, um, you yeah. I wonder how they're handling the the big league club at the moment because with Solaire, with Wade Davis, I mean, it would be easy to go, what the hell are we doing? Like, why, what are we doing at this point? I mean, Jorge Soler has been indisputably awful with no signs of progression. Wade Davis, love the guy. I mean, what he did in those, are, are we paying it backwards? Like, I, I mean, so like I get the fan frustration. I also understand from Royals' perspective of why you would hold on to them until you can't physically get a return for them anymore. Because if they go on July 30th and do something for the Cubs, you're like, well, if we would have held on to them for two more days, maybe we could have got a bucket of, right? I mean, like I get it. But at the same time, Tyler Zuber is just massacring hitters at AAA. a, <laughs> we have Dylan Coleman who looks really good. Edward Olivares. I, case stated already um grant gavin grant gavin gabe spire so what yeah. are, what do you think it's going to take at the big league level to get these guys some time is it do you think it's as easy as saying the calendar turning to august 1st like i mean is it is, or is it that kind of what we're waiting for
2: yeah i mean truth be told I, I, you just listened to the way they talked at the end of the break the the first before the break and it, it was still as if they wanted to establish the winning and and start to win and compete and, and still just provide like I don't know inject a sense of like energy within the entire clubhouse um but I mean again you come out and you lose two of three to the Orioles at some point it's just I, I I just think it has to flip to development And I think it, I mean I if you're asking me I would have I would have happened a long time ago because I just don't know if this entire year you i mean as much as they talked about contending and even if modesty at state health cetera, i just still think it would have been such an uphill battle so to answer the question yeah i think i think it's just them getting to whatever it takes to get them to the realization that no longer are we here this year probably to to really contend and compete obviously they're 18 games below 500 again to this point i don't know what it's going to take um but, yeah, I, I mean, I I wonder, I mean, like Swarzak was on the team and, and Grant Gavin gave Spire pitch the way they have, and they've been in the system. And so, why? I mean, I know you want to try to get anything you can for some of these guys. Um, but I it, it's, at some point I think there's just like a realist, realist element that you have to just like look in the mirror and be like, what are we, who do we really have, and what do we really need to do for the future of this organization, as much as we want to compete Like you just have to think long-term I think with pretty much everything. And I think so often over these last few years, like you're trying to balance the long-term with the short and it just becomes hard on everybody because you have some who, who get frustrated with not being able to succeed in the short. And then some, obviously you, y- you need more for the long-term. It just becomes tough. And I think that balance, I wrote about this after Jackson Coar debuted, and there's so much intensity in that clubhouse. And a guy comes up, and there's so much intensity. He doesn't perform, and then the intensity just magnifies. It's like is that the best mode for a guy coming up? It just just have a lot of questions with that. Um, and I think it's it's one of those things that there's no number to be put on it, so it's hard to really evaluate. Um, but at some point, yeah, you would think like Grant Gavin, if he continues to, to succeed in spots, Gabe Spire. Tyler Zuber for crying out loud! I mean, if he's gone down and got his control right, I mean they could use another guy who's who's fresh. They they've worked these guys like crazy. So yeah, I don't. I guess it's the calendar turning. I don't know. I mean, we got 12 days, so I guess it's not that long. But you would think it happens soon.
1: I don't know what your relationship with Flanny is like, but Flanny tweeted um, something about Mike Matheny's chase all 162 and how much pressure it's putting on guys and some of the elders in the in the clubhouse were like, what are we doing here? Is, you, you mentioned the intensity. Is that kind of like along the same lines there? Yeah, I mean, I think so. And I I, I can't speak to Blaney and, and what he said
2: on that, truth be told. I just look at it from like my speculative outside perspective. Like I know they want to win every day and they want to do that because of what they heard from the team in 2020 and 2019 when, when this coaching staff took over. That said, when you're playing 162 games, at least from my very inexperienced view, it would seem like you can't treat it like a football Saturday where Nick Saban goes and rallies the true, and you got to win because if you lose your, I mean, this is 162. We got to kind of like, you pick your spots, it, it just keep it kind of. I mean, I think about Terry Francona, like he can be a fiery guy, but he's also, it seems just like casually operating most of the time and just kind of relax. Maybe that's because he has the cachet he does. But I do think I, – I just think the intensity – imagine if the environment you work every single day, it's, it's do or die. I mean, it's it would affect the way I like go. I just like being relaxed and comfort and can kind of do my thing. And I think a lot of people are like that. And, I mean, it, it is tough because, again, you have guys in the clubhouse like Witt who obviously wants to win. I mean, and can you blame him? This guy – wasn't on the team in 2015. He's been incredible for this club for so long. And yet the team, I mean, it, it, it he hasn't had any semblance of winning. So I bet he's frustrated and really upset about it. Um, so all of it, it's just, it's not an ideal place to be really.
0: So, and this is a question I'm sure that's been on a lot of fans minds as well, even really going back to March when in spring training, when we were seeing what Bobby Wood Jr. was doing and the, man you know the rumors of like management and players pounding the table for him to be on the roster if he goes should he go to omaha like we think he's going to and he mashes for the month of august and continues to do bobby wood junior things what he has done all season long proving how good he is do you think there's any possibility that the team could just go here's your cup of coffee let's see what we got in you right now and maybe it's just an injection for next year like it's just gives the fans a little bit of something going into the offseason. You know, I it's a this it's probably a false equivalency, but I like the Seattle Mariners as well. And they called up Kyle Lewis in twenty nineteen at the end of the year and kind of gave him his run. And he had a really fantastic run there for a little while. And then he goes into twenty twenty, wins rookie of the year, and gives Mariners fans a little bit of hope when you still have guys like Kel Nick and Rodriguez coming behind. Do you think that the Royals could do something like that? Or because they're so far out of it at this point, is awards starting the clock now for a guy like Bobby Wood Jr.?
2: Yeah, I think you could argue either way, and I, I would understand it. I mean, you said the injection for fans. I, I think, like, how much could it benefit Bobby if he's raking at AAA in August? And you could at, you, you could promote him in September, let him face big league pitching in somewhat of a relaxed environment, see how it goes. If he, if he performs really well, great. He has confidence going into 2022. If he struggles, well, guess what? We have an old, a whole offseason to think about what happened and what we need to do to get him right for 2022. So that, w- that would make a ton of sense to me, um, to be honest with you. I, I think that's probably the route, the, the human being route you would go. But th- that said, I can understand why someone would be like, look, Alec, like, as much as they talk about 2022 – what are the real odds that this team contends in 2022? Probably pretty small unless the young pitching develops, I think, the way it would be great to see develop. I just don't know how much it's possible. Um, and, and I think if, if you can't contend in 2022, I think you got to start – got to be smart with it. And I think that's smart beyond just Bobby Witt, Jr. I think, like, if, if witt Merrifield's contract goes through 22 and then you have a, a club option for 23 that's expensive – then, then, is it worth keeping Wit all the way through? Is it worth trading him at the deadline? I mean, I think you really have to look yourself in the mirror in these next probably twelve days or what have you, and think about um, just just the roadmap of of where you want to go next because um, these decisions are really important for the future.
1: I'm glad you brought up the trade deadline. Um, we had mentioned you and I kind of offhandedly that. Scott Barlow, in my opinion, and like Josh Stamont today is why you trade Scott Barlow right now. Like, I know fans are big on holding relievers that pitch once a week if you're winning. I don't understand the attitude myself. But Scott Barlow, packaged with a Duffy, packaged with a Merrifield, packaged with a mine I-, I don't care who you, I mean, whatever it takes, feels like a really good trade chip right now. And... The Royals actually do have some good relievers. Like I, I know, the bullpen's not been wonderful, but you're probably not trading Stamont now that his values come way down. But you still have him moving forward. You have Tyler Zuber, Grant Gavin, Gabe Spire, Daniel Tillos coming back. I think Jeffrey Del Rosario fits into the bullpen sometime next year. Like I really do think their bullpen, like, is in pretty good shape. And when you evaluate, by the way, like where are these guys came from, a minor league free agent. A busted starting pitching prospect. I mean, who are your best relievers? you got them out of nowhere. Like, you're, yeah. you're concerned about trading them for legitimate pieces? Like, man, I don't know. If you're – No,
2: yeah. I, and I don't think they are. I mean, you, you saw it with Tim Hill. I mean, like, he was a guy who, who figured in. Obviously, a different type of guy than Scott Barlow. But, I mean, I think they believe, you know what, like we'll make it through without Tim, and they traded him for, for Ronald Bolaños and Franchi Cordero. And Barlow's more fa- more valuable than Tim Hill uh, was at the time, and, and he's more valuable than Trevor Rosenthal was last year, which brought back Coleman and Olivares. So if you can get much more than that, I don't, I don't see why not. I mean, I think that's the opinion I would take. But, I mean, as always, like I don't know what prospects these teams are willing to part with for these guys. You just – you don't know. It's, it's – it's such a crapshoot, I think, especially just not knowing it, not knowing what,
1: what calls are made. Are you a fan of the don't sell, the price isn't right uh, stri- strategy?
2: I mean, it just it depends. I don't know what, what the price is. I mean, if you're telling me you can get more than what you got from Deekman, which was just happier Diekman, or, or Rosenthal, which was just happier Rosenthal, or, or more than Tim Hill – I mean, I just, I think that's the, the I think the price is right. I, I just, I think the price is right because to your point, I mean, think about how Scott Barlow came about. He was, he was a minorly creative signing guy that you put on your 40 man um, and developed and, and this organization under Dayton, I mean, they, they've, they've always been able to string together a bullpen. I think it's probably one of their strength, if not their biggest strength over time. Um, so I just think you, you worry about the, the future bullpen later um and acquire whatever you can acquire at the time and I think the price could be right especially for a guy like Barlow um like you mentioned Stallmont now I I don't know with the way his velocity is it's like been it's like a seesaw um 93 and 100 but uh I think Barlow is a guy I I just I would imagine a guy like that who has three pitch mix and the years of control that he has you could get good enough value back
0: well, for a guy like Barlow too, he's shown he can close out games. He can go two or three innings if you need it. He can go in the fifth or he can go in the eighth. Like teams will overpay for a guy like that that you can use as a Swiss Army knife in your bullpen. It isn't just a I throw in the ninth inning if we're winning and that's it. Like he will, he'll just take the ball and go and shove.
2: Yeah, and and he can bounce back the way he can. I mean, he's versatile in that way. I mean, his his arm seems to I don't know be rubber in some sense. it's, it's yeah. I think um. I mean, Scott's a guy, I mean, I, he's one of the greatest guys in the clubhouse. Everybody would say that. They all love him. So th- there's that element, too. And I just, it, it obviously, it hurts to lose a guy like that. Um, but, again, I think if you're thinking long term in 22 and 23, really 23, I mean, what's going to benefit you most then? And I think it might be acquiring a, a couple players that could contribute then, if possible, for
1: that time if the Royals do anything surprising at the deadline, be it trade a guy that nobody thought they were going to trade or hold on to a guy that maybe people assume is going to be traded, give me a surprise or two. And maybe these are random guesses, but like something that you can see logically that maybe other people aren't talking about at the moment.
2: I mean, we haven't really talked about trading Nicky Lopez. Um, Nobody's really brought that up uh and i I, again i mean there are a lot of questions what could you what could you recoup for something like that um a guy who the sample size isn't great but i mean he's an incredible at at worst just utility player he he plays great defense on both up the middle spots and he's hit the ball lately if you believe that's going to continue um i mean maybe that's that's worth something so i i i don't know if they would do it i know they I mean, they love just what he brings to the table every day, and as they should, because honestly, of all guys to watch this year, he's been about as fun as they come on this Royals team. Um, but, I mean, I think I think he could be a guy. Other than that, I mean, I don't know, unless an offer came across for, for Ben Attendee or Santana. I'm not sure. I mean, both of those guys are on two-year deals. Um, I don't know if both of them will be with the organization through 23, 24. But, but I mean, maybe if you don't believe one's going to sign long-term, now could be a time. I, I, I don't know. Um, but I think the Nicky Lopez one, just because of the way he's performed of late, it's just kind of an interesting uh, interesting option, I think.
1: My, my surprise was Santana as well. I think they've got guys that they've uh, – I don't know who Ryan O'Hearn has pictures of, but they seem to love that guy. So between Ryan O'Hearn and Ryan McBroom, I think you can get by at first base. Um, in a, in a season where you're going to suck anyway, it makes room for Prado at first at Omaha. And I think the Yankees make, like, this is my dream, and this is unreal. Like, none of these are ever realistic. But, like, if I was Dayton Moore, what I'm trying to do is trade two of Barlow, Santana, Benintendi, or even Whit Merrifield and get a arm and Anthony Volpe from the Yankees. Now – Obviously, like I said, those are unrealistic. It's not worth even really talking about too much. But I say the Yankees because they are under a lot of pressure from their fan base. Luke Voigt isn't hitting like he was. He's really a right on left guy anyway. You insert Santana, a switch hitting on base guy into that mix. You put an athlete like Merrifield into that mix. You give him another guy that can help out in the outfield like Benintendi. Whatever that looks like, um, I think the Yankees – need a lot of what the Royals have. I think the Mets make some sense in that regard, but I think the Royals have too many pieces that are, that make sense to trade to not do anything. Like there's no way you can look at this team, what you thought they were going to be and think this is a fluke. We'll just do it again next year. And maybe that happens. Like, but I think it's bad process to go into 2022 thinking, Oh, this will be fine. We'll just wash the board and then try again next spring. Because if you do that, if you go into 2022 with this same roster for the most part, and even if they went out and signed like a Trevor Story, which let's not kid ourselves, but let's say they did. <laughs> let's say they made a big move and that's all yeah. they did. I don't think it's going to be enough. Like if the team sucks this bad again next year. So, man, I don't know what it looks like, but – and I've been on the defend Dayton Moore train, and I still would. Like, I don't think you should – like, they, they could do this again next year, and I would not be under the fire Dayton Moore train. But I'll be in the minority. Like, I, I don't think very many people would be on the train with me defending him. So, man, if, if you're the Royals at this point, you've held on to Whit Merrifield this long, his value is literally never going to be higher. You kind of owe it to Whit to, to put him on a contender or build one for him but I don't know how you can build a legitimate contender in the next two years without trading him unless you're willing to unload the pockets in the offseason. Yeah. I think the only thing that, I mean, I think
2: you're right. I was, I was thinking about it earlier, like if, if they just run it back next year, I mean, like what, what would that signal? They, I mean, they really, but is it possible? I mean, it just to run it back. I just can't imagine if they went with the same group and, um, even with Bobby Witt Jr., it just, I just don't know how people – I mean, maybe they do it. Maybe they have that much faith. I don't know. Um, I think the one thing about, like, trading a Santana or trading a attendee or trading a Witt, and this is speaking from the process I know they have, um, is they, they believe strongly that when you bring a guy up, the level of Bobby Witt Jr. and, and Nick Prado, you want veterans who, who can give professional at-bats, who have the veteran presence, in that in that clubhouse that can really be like potent voices for those guys to be around and look up to and so if they don't get rid of santana or benetton or wit i think that that it's it's part that probably the the value that they would mean for a guy like bobby or nick and i think it's part it would also part be just the the prospects they covet weren't available and and again like we never know really what some of these deals are i mean i sure you hear stuff all the time and, and stuff comes about but um yeah. It, I, I was thinking about it earlier today. It was like, it's going to be interesting to see what they do, because I think it signals a lot of how they feel about this next year and, and 2023. And I say that so many times, like over the course of the last two years I've been doing this, I always say like what they do here is going interest, to be interesting to let you know how they feel, but it's it, it always done. I mean, it really always sheds a lot of light on like where they see their contention window type thing. And I think, um, so I, I think it'll be really interesting. It, it, it's, it's just crazy. I mean, it's crazy that Jorge Soler, we, we don't even talk about in the conversation with just how the struggles that have been. It's just, it's, it's just a mind-blowing thing, but it's unpredictable.
0: Joel, you got anything else? No, I think we hit everything. Um, Alex, once again, thank you so much. Uh, you're I think you might be the first three-time guest, so let me see if I can come up with something here. Has we done baseball history?
1: I think we uh, had Vinny on a third time, but we lost yeah. the take yes that is correct um
0: so you're the first like actual three-time guest that actually we have all three will be three for three on the recording so i think we'll be all right um let's go with you're stepping in the box against any pitcher in baseball history you don't yeah i'm not asking you to try and hit it but just to see the stuff who is it wow um First off,
2: I mean, I'd be scared. I, I, I don't know if I could do it. I mean, I used to be scared. I used to be scared stepping in there going against fifty-five. Like I'd be like, "All right, I'm. If I get hit, this is going to be tough." And I'm just speaking so I can stall. Um, I mean, I think seeing Degrom would be ridiculous. And I, I know I'm saying that on a day where he's now forearm tightness because it seems like he's pushed the bounds of like what an arm could actually do on a consistent basis. So if he's hurt, like I, I mean, truth be told. <laughs> I mean, what he's been able to do is not something that's ever been done. So we might learn that you just can't really do that. But I think standing against him, current – I mean, I, I the easy, cool answer would be like Satchel Paige. It just – I think that would be – um my dad loves Satchel Paige. So that would be kind of legendary. Um But, yeah, DeGrom, just like you hear about what these guys go through, stepping in that box against them, and it sounds crazy. So probably
0: him. My buddy described him as Greg Maddox that throws 102,
2: like, <laughs> which doesn't, it's just not even real, but it is. Like, it's yeah.
0: Uh, it can just put it, you know, 102 on the black and then throw a 94 mile an hour slider, just dead zone where no one's going to hit it. It's, it's stupid.
2: Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's unbelievable. But no, I, I, I appreciate you guys having me. It'll be interesting. I mean, you guys know, you guys follow this farm system every day. But what they've done on the hitting development side, I mean, it's hard to even really capture <laughs> just the strides that have been made in such a short time. And I, and I think just talking to people, I think Jackson and, and Daniel will be totally fine. Um, some hiccups, it happens. I think with all these guys, it's just, I think the more you learn, even just watching Brady Singer re- recently, it's like consistency, just got to find consistency because there's just been so little of it with these young guys. Um, so if you can, I mean that—that's what's been impressive about a lot of these young hitters, like MJ. I mean, he's been doing this for a month, two months now. I mean, that's a long time to to swing the bat the way he has. Um, so yeah, it, it's—it's. Um, I know I'm rambling still, but it's fun. Uh, appreciate you guys. I know I'm 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 defending the organization, so people will like that.
0: <laughs> Alec, you do an awesome job. Don't let Twitter trolls. It's just a bunch of bull. Like. And everybody, get, seriously, go, go subscribe to The Athletic. It's five bucks a month. You get all the stuff Alec does and all the other great work following uh, all of your favorite teams and sports there. So subscribe to Good Journalism. I promise it is, it is well worth it. Uh, thank you. And uh, let's make this a fourth time here soon.
2: No doubt. No doubt. Anytime, guys. Keep, stay keeping me updated on uh, the guys that I should be looking out for. I appreciate it.
0: Absolutely.
1: All right. Thank you to Alec Lewis of the Athletic for joining us. Uh talk about some potential promotions. Um always like to get Alec's insight. He travels around better than and maybe I'm unfamiliar with the work other beat writers do because I have a better relationship with Alec than the other ones, but he he travels around to these minor league sites. He goes and visits with the players one-on-one. Um, you know, really does make an effort and make a point to get in with the minor league guys and build those relationships to, to better inform us of what's going on. So, um, really appreciate his, his insight, his takes, uh, coming on. Um, again, if you guys are listening to this on Monday, the, is that what tomorrow's the 18th? So, oh, it's the 19th. So if you're listening to this on Monday, the 19th, we're recording Sunday night of the 18th. Um, hopefully we have some action. Uh, we'll be reporting on anything that we hear. We'll obviously be looking out for the same info you guys are looking for. So, If I had to bet money, I would bet that Bobby, Nick, Michael, and Vinny are all being promoted here relatively soon. So, uh, yeah, you guys enjoy your week. We will be back sometime next weekend with another episode, hopefully recapping Bobby Witt Jr.'s first week at AAA Omaha. You guys take care.